Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to New Books and Music, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dan Moran. I'm thrilled to be here today with Mark Davidson and Parker Fischel. Mark Davidson is the curator of the Bob Dylan Archive and the Senior Director of Archives and Exhibitions for the Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie Centers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Parker Fischel is an archivist who served as co-curator of the inaugural exhibitions at the Bob Dylan Center. Now, each of them has much more on their resumes, but they're here today to talk about their new book they've co-edited, Bob Dylan, Mixing Up the Medicine, published by Callaway. Welcome, Mark and Parker. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having us. Sure. So we're going to talk about the book in specific and in detail and Bob Dylan in general. But before we start, I just have to tell our listeners and the both of you that this book is is truly unbelievable. I mean, it's a it's a selection of images and lyric manuscripts and letters taken from the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa. It's got notes and explanations and captions. It's got introductory essays. It's got 30, I believe, um, artifacts that you had different writers each write a separate essay on. And I would call it a coffee table book, but that doesn't do it justice because coffee table books, as you know, um, are, are beautiful objects, but nobody really sits down and reads them. This is the kind of book that if you are a Bob Dylan fan, you, you go right to your favorite albums, you go right to your favorite songs, and then you kind of like your eye catches somewhere else and you flip around. And before you know it, a couple hours have gone by and you've been going through this book. So everyone who likes Bob Dylan has to say this. And I just have to say right from the outset, like, well done, well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sure. Let's talk about the, the birth of this book. Like, how was this book conceived and actually put to press? Because it seems like this must have been like a Herculean task. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so the the book spent man- many years in the making. Um, the archive itself uh, was purchased by the George Kaiser Family Foundation, a, a really important philith- philanthropic organization here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, uh, they purchased it in, uh, 2015. It started coming in 2016. Uh, they had previously gotten, uh, the archive of Woody Guthrie, uh, opened the Woody Guthrie center in 2013, had Phil Oaks, uh, uh, a number of other archives. Um, and they purchased the Bob Dylan archive in 2016. It started, uh, uh, arriving, uh, uh, shortly thereafter, and the uh, first curator of the Bob Dylan archive, Michael Chaikin, uh, and his colleague uh, Robert Polito, shortly after the archive got here, started bringing people into town uh, to do public programming, to uh, uh, generate interest around the collection, and to um, basically just show off all the things that Tulsa has to offer. And they... Uh, so they they had the initial idea, you know, what if we had a bunch of people come to town and and choose an item, write an essay about it, and we'll we'll put out a book. Um, and so that went on for uh, a couple three years, and then they they got enough essays together and and said, well, we should find somebody to put this out. And 
they they linked up with uh, Callaway Arts and Entertainment, Callaway Books, um, and from there the the idea really kind of exploded. Uh, that that was when uh, the the magnum opus uh, concept really got rolling, um, and then uh, March of 2020, we had uh, Lucy Sant out to do a, a program. Uh, she wrote a really excellent essay on uh, the 1964 notebook and and another notebook. Um, and that was the moment we all learned that the world was shutting down. So uh, Parker and I uh, started um, uh, really working on on curating the the Bob Dylan Center. And when that opened in May 2022, then we shifted our focus to uh, getting this book completed. What's it like? Here's a side question for you, and Parker maybe can answer this. Like, what what is it like? What's the challenge of curating anything, but especially curating like an exhibit about Bob Dylan, like introducing Bob Dylan to visitors? I think the challenge is uh, how to hit the mark, <laughs> as with anything. Um, you know, we had a really uh, wonderful sort of um, uh, mantra maybe that uh the exhibition design firm the lead um alan maskin of of olson kundig um introduced to the to the sort of group working on the center which was that we had to create something that was for skimmers skimmers swimmers and divers skimmers being the people who don't know much about bob dylan uh the kids who got dragged to a bob dylan center by their parents uh the swimmers people who are familiar but don't know so much um, but want to learn more. And then, of course, the divers who are, you know, the diehards um, who, you know, buy every Bob Dylan release and pour over it, um, trying to connect the dots. And so, um, you know, that was that was the big challenge uh, in both the center and the book um, was to have just enough sort of iconic, familiar touchstones that those who maybe are totally oblivious to Bob Dylan, but, you know, know him from an iconic 1960s, 1970s image, can see something and get pulled in or led through the book. Um, and that, you know, those who are counting the number of images that they've never seen before also have something to do. So that's a great mantra. And as you know, as the both of you know, more than anybody, I guess, on the planet, you know, the divers in the Bob Dylan case are very intense people. I mean, you got to get everything right. The divers will call you out on stuff. I imagine that, that you get wrong. They they have, they have indeed. <laughs> so you talked about the birth of the book. So um, how, like how long, when you actually started putting the book together, you said that was 22 or night or 2020. Yeah, we, we, um, we, we started, uh, it was right around the 4th of July of 2022 wow. uh, that, that we were, you know, we, we got the center open and uh, we took a little breath and we started, you know, pulling images, things that we needed, you know, wanted to have in the book, you know, this has to be there, that. And, right. um, but uh, Parker and I really in earnest started writing. Um, it was August of 22 it was over the course of 10 weeks i think we wrote uh uh the nine uh major chapters uh 10 to 15,000 words a week we you know we we ended up with a book uh the beginning of november and then and then uh from there we started to kind of work on it beat it into submission um uh think about how it would work visually uh there 
as as with all great Bob records, there was a ton left on the cutting room floor, um, uh, which may make it into a, an eventual bootleg series. But um, yeah, uh, and that was yeah. And then by the spring, uh, we, we were did we finish up in June and it came out in October? I I, uh, I think we finished in July and it came July. out in October. Okay, okay, so. yeah. That's incredible. Regardless, that that the work ethics that sounds incredible. I like how you got this. As you as you collaborated, did did one did you like each take a did you like you know call teams so to speak? Like I'll I'll do you know blow another wind, but you're gonna do Joker Man, and then like you kind of like read each other's stuff, or did you kind of was it collaborative the whole way? Uh, we sort of had a first pass. Um, so if you've ever been to the Bob Dylan Center, um, or for your listeners who haven't been but should come, um, because I encourage everybody. Uh, there is on the second floor, uh, budding the actual physical archive reading room, uh, a, uh, how long is that wall, Mark? Oh gosh. Is it, um, 70 feet, 75 feet? It's, it's 12 foot, I think 10, 12 feet by 70, 75 feet. I, I don't know. I'm sure it's, I, it's an enormous corridor of casework, um, containing sort of, uh, exactly almost what the book is, but in physical form. So, um, you know, in each case, covering having some artifacts that represent some episode or concept or um, album or relationship uh, within Dylan's life. And then um, there are these two touch screens where you can sort of dive into each box, um, learn about it, which was where the first draft of the book really lived uh and also see additional you know digital material watch clips that are related all that kind of thing and so we sort of had this first pass and yeah with that mark and i just sort of handed off you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna do these as and you're gonna do these and you know we'll read each other's work and say good job you know let's move on um and you know we that was the basis of the book and then yeah we sort of for everything that we you know for everything else that we wanted to put in it we just sort of independently went through basically every manuscript in the archive every photo in the archive chose what we thought were really interesting and then brought it to the other person and we went through it with a you know discerning eye to say you know is this actually going to be interesting to anyone other than me or the two of us or you know, does it does it hit check those three boxes, right? For the skimmers, swimmers, and divers. Um, how does this connect to other things in the archive, the stories that we can tell? And so then eventually you start to sort of winnow it down. So it was very collaborative between Mark and I the entire, you know, way. Yeah. yeah. I I um I for for my part, Parker uh reminded me of the Saturday night I spent. So I was uh uh writing about um uh, the the Joker Man music video, uh, and and I saw a a photograph, um, a Ken Regan photograph from 1975, and I was like, oh, I I need to find where that is. And so I spent a Saturday night going through fifty thousand Ken Regan photographs, um, like literally fifty thousand Ken Ken Regan photographs to find this one particular uh photo that would help tell the story. We um. So the other the other piece of of the Bob Dylan Center that that we sort of worked off of is in our uh, ground floor, we have the Columbia Records Gallery and um, in it, we have uh, six big concrete pillars and there are, 
you know, six songs that we have chosen um, to to put on display. Those rotates, and then we have uh, around the perimeter uh, what we call the nine eras of Dylan's life. So 1941 to 60, 61 to 64, 65 to 66. And we use that as as sort of the, you know, the the basis for the chapters, but um, very much in the same way that that we had some heated arguments about sort of where those chapters, you know, those those eras begin and end. Uh, we we shifted things around just a little bit for the book. Um, uh, because telling a story in a book is different than telling a story in objects in a physical space. Yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's really interesting. So let's talk about the book in a little more detail at the end of your preface. And either of you can answer this, you quote Dylan and uh, you know, I know you're going to have to, when I'm reading it the first time, like, well, they're going to have to quote what Bob quote are they going to use? There's so many, he said so many funny things. Um, what are they going to use? And you got to this quote and I want to ask about why you chose this one. You say, you quote Bob Dylan as saying, quote, Art is the perpetual motion of illusion. Art is the perpetual motion of illusion. So talk about why you picked that and how that suits the book. <laughs> Either of well, you, it's a big question. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I think I'll also like I, I also like the quote that we we open with, uh, which uh, you know, sort of, uh, I feel like is funny and sets a tone uh, where you know you never know. You know, there've been a million books written about me. You know, you might as well write one yourself. You never know. You might have a good one in them, in you rather. Um, I think that's a pretty fun, funny one. But this is a more serious one. Um, yeah, I think you know the the theme of the center, uh, the theme that you know uh, Dylan really seems to embody is this idea of restless creativity, um, and it's very clear uh, if you know that he is constantly at work on art you know, writ large. He's a visual artist. He's a, he's a songwriter. He's a, you know, he's now written, you know, three books. And so he's constantly at work. Um, and, and so, you know, that speaks, I think, to the perpetual motion, um, this compulsion to follow his muse wherever that goes. Um, and then I think, you know, the illusion is, uh, that Dylan has always made from when he arrived in New York City with a, you know, sort of fanciful, you know, backstory, you know, Dil Bob Dylan, uh, I mean, it might be like the most successful performance artist right. of the 20th yeah. century. Right. Bob Dylan, so, air quotes. Yeah. Right. You know, he, um, and so, you know, it seemed to sum up, um, you know, what he does and what is so engaging for him, for us uh, as fans about him. Um, so I think that's why we chose to sort of end it there because, you know, it was sort of our way to say that um, as much as we're going to show you, you know, it's still, you know, art is still ultimately like an unknowable thing. It's more about how it, you know, hits you, so. Well, that's great, that's great. Have any of you ever met Bob Dylan? No. Okay, no, through his art. Oh, we've met we've met Bob through his art. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about him now more generally. Like, so why do you think so? You know, I've never been to the Bob Dylan Center, but now every every time one of you speaks more, I have to like, I'm like, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta see it. I gotta be there. Um, so what is it about Bob Dylan that fascinates so many people? And that's still, you know, like like you said, I love what you said, the you know, the skimmers and the divers and the swimmers. What is it about him, do you think, that, that draws so many people in to the point where there's a center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in this beautiful book? Yeah, I, 
I mean, he's been he's been doing it for a long time, but a lot of people have. I mean, I I think from early on, um, I I'll pause and say there there is a whole crew of younger diehard Dylan fans uh, who are writing books and doing podcasts and and really really amazing work. Uh, we've spoken to some of them. Uh, about the book uh, we've had a number of them come through the center and um, I think if there were ever a concern that you know uh, our target audience for the Bob Dylan Center would would age out and we'd be left with an empty museum I, I don't think that's that's going to happen um, and it's that that appeal uh, and it's it's not a particular Dylan that is more appealing than than others. I think uh, part of, you know, it's all Bob Dylan, but he he has gone through so many different uh, sort of moments in his career that um, uh, different you, you can tell any number of stories like really, really, really rich and deep stories um, based on a, a year or two period. Um, yeah, I I. You know, he was heralded as the voice of a generation in like 1963 and and pushed away from that and, um, uh, you know, moved on to, you know, playing rock music, uh, sort of going back to those wellsprings. Um, and then, you know, the the all of these these sort of moments we try to elucidate in in the book and um, show that uh, these shocking changes that everybody was so, you know, uh, appalled by um, or perplexed by uh, were really, you know, always there kind of years in the making. And anyhow. Yeah, your book gives a great sense of all those surprises that when you look back at them in hindsight, you just kind of laugh and you're like, well, that's Bob doing what he does. But like, you know, you talk about, you know, um, I think when Self-Portrait came out, the first line in Rolling Stone, the grill, Marcus famously said, like, what is this shit? And, and uh, you know, and then we're going to do, you know, the, the Christmas album and you're, everyone's like, OK, Bob made a Christmas album and then we get the standards. Um, the book is organized into 10 sections and each one of these has a, a few essays by noted writers about single artifacts that interested them. What, what were some of these that, that, that you found really surprising or interesting or, or, you know, how these were created. I, I, I'm going to follow up what I just said really quickly by, by saying that the, the changes in Bob's career, that seems so shocking The the archive is what allows us to go, Oh, here's a reference to Rosemary Clooney back in the sixties, you know, and, um, uh, and, you know, we thought, you know, Bob's conversion and all of that happens, you know, here's the standard story, but we've got, you know, here are these lyric drafts from before that. Um, uh, in terms of Parker, some of your favorite uh, essays, objects in the book. Well, so there, you know, there are these essays and they broadly fall into, you know, some are more, let's say like academic or literary analysis. And I think Griffin on Dace's was one that really struck me um, about the, um, he takes a comment that uh, Dylan made to Sam Shepard in the Rolling Thunder review about Joseph Conrad and um, dives deep in a few different Conrad novels uh, to pull out potential sort of referent points. And, and that's something that is super interesting and fans love to do. And when you're talking about why people are, you know, 
um, still, you know, hung up on Bob Dylan, it's because they love to sort of pick apart and where these references are from. And, and that's sort of part of the back and forth and the fun. Um, so I think Griffin's essay was like super interesting. Others are uh, sort of a, a more um, poetic or, or uh, literary works in and of themselves. So uh, we were talking, uh, who just loved Tom Piazza, um, the writer, uh, the author and cultural critics um, piece, which is about sort of 15th dream, which is a sort of off the wall um, uh, uh story told through like a script um essentially that's like you know plays you know deals with all of the playful sort of imagery that dylan is using in the you know mid-1960s and also you know the playful sort of repartee that he had with with journalists at the time um and then others are just sort of um yeah, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of wonderful pieces. Ed, Ed Ruscha, who has a, you know, major retrospective up at uh, MoMA right now, um, uh, and also, you know, has has Oklahoma um, uh, roots and connections, uh, offers up sort of, you know, the, the pool, the theme time radio hour, the pool of sort of shared influences that were also on his radar at the same time they would have been on Dylan's and, and how you know, some of Dylan's work may have filtered into his own. Uh, the cultural critic Greg Tate does this amazing um, uh, exploration of of the relationship between uh, the Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan. Um, so it's it's just a really uh, and uh, yeah, the you know the the first essay uh, deals with uh, what is known to be or at least what we know to be Dylan's first or what we assume to be Dylan's first recording this acetate he made um, uh, in 1956 and the more recent essays you know deal with some of his live performances of the past you know handful of years and then there are these uh, there's the what is it a uh, introduction from Sean Wallens which um, gives you sort of the 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 thumbnail version of his career and this wonderful epilogue from Douglas Brinkley, which actually like we've been really underselling in all these interviews because it, it's essentially a whole bunch of out. It's, it's his summing up of Dylan, but using a whole bunch of outtakes from the interviews that he's done with Dylan. So it essentially is like a brand new interview with Bob Dylan that ends the book. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there are all kinds of wonderful moments in between. Mark mentioned Lucy Sance. Amanda Petrusich offers a great essay. Gregory Parlow. Um, so, Mark, you see you raising. Yeah, your hand. I, I, um, I, and I want to make special mention of Joy Harjo, who, um, uh, Tulsa, uh, a, a, a Tulson, uh, three-time U.S. poet laureate, um, who is also the Bob Dylan Center's first artist in residence. Um, uh, she did a, a wonderful uh sort of reflection on uh tangled up in blue in her life and what it meant to her and we actually had the opportunity to hear her read that um at the opening of the bob dylan center in may of of 2022 it was uh, uh our big public opening ribbon cutting um uh and uh yeah it was uh, that was an incredible weekend it was uh Mavis Staples performed, Patti Smith performed, Elvis Costello. So 
Um, the Bob Dylan Center has really been a magnet for a lot of wonderful things. Every time I open this book, I learn something new. Um, and I'm sure this happens to you in the archives all the time, right? So for example, there's a little tiny example. I was surprised to learn that the song with the most drafts in the archives, if someone asked me, what is it? I'd say, well, it's going to be Desolation Row or it'll be Visions of Johanna. But I learned from the book that it's Dignity, that you have the most drafts in the archives of Dignity. I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Like he started working on that in 1989 and we all heard that when he was on MTV Unplugged. So I'd like to ask you, what are some other interesting things you learned from collecting the drafts of the lyrics? Like Mark, you just made the point that everyone thinks, you know, the three, the three conversion albums just were like a light switch. They went on and off, but he was thinking about these advance so i imagine you had a, a million surprises what were some of the surprises that stuck in your head um yeah i think uh well first we should you know uh say that the dylan you know the dylan archive is what sort of survives um and it's remarkable given the fact that you know in the 1960s no one was thinking that anyone was going to be listening to any of those artists 60 years later um you know, that, that any of this survives for Dylan or for any other sort of, you know, major recording artists. Um, and the Bob Dylan archive really picks up in 1964 with Chimes of Freedom. Um, and there's lots that's, that's probably missing, you know, that just didn't survive. So who knows, you know, there could be, could have been, you know, many more drafts, but, but, but within the archive, you know, the most that survive are from Dignity and then from Joker Man is the second most. Um, some of my favorite sort of surprising lyrical moments, um, you know, I think, uh, again, people love like the, 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 the reference in Dylan's lyrics. And so um, I remember be, you know, at the time it came out, uh, Thunder on the Mountain, people were like, wait, he's talking about Alicia Keys. Like, what does he know about Alicia Keys? As if this is, you know, this generational difference that, you know, he isn't supposed to know about Alicia Keys. And then, you know, you go through, we were going through the lyric manuscripts for, for Thunder on the Mountain. And not only like, it wasn't like a, a brushed off reference, you know, he said in an interview, like I met her at the Grammys and I like got interested. And like, it was clear that he had, he'd had, and he'd listened to the album because the initial lyrics have reference to this album track called Butterflies, right? which you would only know if you had the record because it wasn't the single that you could hear off the record. It was only on the album. And so, you know, there are things like that. Um, I was also, you know, looking earlier, flipping through the book and there's like, uh, we stuck it in cause it's such an odd, we're talking about that self portrait and it's, you know, includes some live tracks from the 1969 Isle of Wight festival. And one of those is this track minstrel boy, which, um, you know, when Dylan played it at the Isle of Wight, it hadn't even been released. It was something he had done as part of the quote unquote basement tapes with the band in 1967. And here he's, um, you know, revived it, played it at the Isle of Wight. And what we include in the book is this lyric manuscript that probably dates from the time that self-portrait was going to come out and they were trying to copyright the song. But it's a completely different set of lyrics from the 1967 Basement Tapes version, which is only one verse, the 1969 version from the Isle of Wight that's on self-portrait, and the published version that's in Dylan's book, Writings and Drawings. It's just this other sort of version. And so I think, you know, I loved finding things like that because it's it really speaks to the fact that for Dylan, these songs are are constantly evolving. They're They're still, you know, changing and not just sort of you know, on, 
you know, on the stage in the moment as anyone who has been to Dylan's concert ever <laughs> can attest. Um, but, you know, in, in, you know, as he goes to, to, to copyright songs or as, um, you know, he's doing a project like Mondo Scripto, um, you know, there can be variations. It's there, his works are alive and, and, um, you know, that, uh, I think that's a really powerful, um, you know, takeaway. Um, from what the archive can can really you know show us about Dylan's work. Yeah, that's great. So as with the drafts of the lyrics, so with the album. So I was another great fun fact I learned was that Johnny Cash thought Dylan's best album is Love and Theft. And you know, if you would have asked me before I read your book, I would have said, well, it's got to be John Wesley Harding or Nashville Skyline because he wrote the liner notes to that, right? So I bring this up because there's so much great correspondence in the book between other Dylan and other artists. So there's a great like photo of um, a Christmas card from Paul McCartney. There's a letter from George Harrison saying, thanks for like a handwritten letter. Thanks for being in the traveling Wilburys. Um, you get a letter from Gregory Peck about Brownsville girl. So there's all this great stuff in there. So how about some um, interesting things for our listeners about revealing pieces of mail or correspondence with, with other artists that our listeners may know. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, there there are a, a ton of letters to Bob in the archive. And I mean, that could have been a book, you know, a book in, in of itself. Um, I mean, very much so. Uh, we, there aren't a lot of letters from Bob to other people. Um, uh, in fact, there, there is a draft of an unsent letter that, uh, Clinton Halen writes about to Paul Williams of Crawdaddy. Um, there's a, note to Allen Ginsberg that uh Bob was typing out in the in the book but yeah it's these these letters were collected over decades um and you know dating back to the 1960s and uh through you know around when the archive uh was sold to the George Kaiser Family Foundation and um gosh i you know that the Johnny Cash letters are are just amazing. Uh, the letters from George Harrison to Bob are are warm and wonderful, and just show what a great relationship that they had. Um, uh, yeah, um, there 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 are some that that you know we 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 just couldn't we didn't have the space to include everything. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe. Maybe one day that'll be another book. <laughs> the Boo Lake series of, of artist uh, correspondence with Bob. I, the title, that would be a great book, right? Letters to Bob. Just to, yeah, that'd be a great, a great book. And I also love how how um, they're all reproduced so beautifully. It, it reminded me that if this was done today with a brand new artist today, you know, no one's going to want to look at photos of emails, but you get to see everybody's handwriting and, and what, and you know, it, what it looked like and where people sign things. Um, what's the last time either of you saw Bob Dylan live and, and what struck you about the show? Um, well, Parker's the luckier one on on that front. Okay. <laughs> um, one one final thing you you just mentioned something really important is that um, this this archive, you know, it's telegrams and faxes and you know, uh, handwritten letters and analog you know audio recordings and film footage. It's it's a very tactile archive, uh, and you know that that time has has passed. And I will shout out to Callaway and Jason Brown in particular for making those uh, the the making the the manuscripts and the notebooks and uh, especially the spiral notebooks look so beautiful in the book. They um, really do. Uh, they it, really do. 
it's like you can you can turn the page you know on the page yeah um, and yeah i give one more shout out since we're shouting out i, I you shout know out. just because it's the tech that, you know they're the people who break the book look so great you know nicholas calloway looked very very closely with um uh toshi masuda and uh jerry kelly um to uh lay out the book which i think is like uh is both very elegant but also sort of reflects um the controlled chaos let's say of an archive um and like the different sort of textures and it it puts um you know it looks beautiful but it, it puts uh, you know things into conversation i think they did you know, an exceptional job. But um, to your question, uh, I saw Dylan um, just a few weeks ago at one of the King's Theater shows in Brooklyn. Um, and what struck me was I had not seen a show since The Beacon in 2021, which I saw one of those shows with Mark. Um, and that was probably the last time you saw him, Mark. Mm -hmm. um, and what struck me was that was before was that that no that was after shadow kingdom but uh, before it came out as an album what struck me was the rough and rowdy ways material that had um it had been completely sort of reworked um and uh and i thought yeah that it was um you know key west is like really you know stunning uh and uh i love there felt like there was a touch of mose allison and you know crossing the rubicon and um you know i i actually i thought in the way that scarlet town a few years ago became sort of like came out of nowhere became like this like sort of mid mid show showstopper i thought um black rider was also sort of uh came alive in a way that i had not really expected so um you know uh, I was blown away. Uh, Let's talk about you mentioned. I'm oh, sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Please, please. I was going to say you mentioned shadows in the night, and and you know one of the things I like about your book and admire about it so much is that all the parts of like Bob Dylan's career and his life get treated like equally as seriously. So yes, you get a lot on Blood on the Tracks and on Highway 61, but you also you know you you talk about Down in the Groove, and you have you have stuff about um, you know stuff like that people might think are quote unquote minor minor albums. Let's let's talk about what you just said about Shadows in the Night, because that's another surprise when Bob started doing the Great American Songbook, right? And he does Shadows in the Night, and he does Fallen Angels and Triplicate. And, you know, talk about political divides or or people, you know, all over, all over every every Reddit meme thing going on about this is crazy. He's like Rod Stewart. What is he doing this for? To other people saying, Are you kidding? Like this is the next logical phase in his career. And, and it, it 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 certainly made a lot of conversation. Right, not maybe as much as him going electric, but what what do the two of you make of the of the standards albums? Well, I just want to make one comment about you know covering all the periods equally because this was something that someone else brought up recently, and it you know yes, I mean it feels like the only thing you can do because what's so abundantly clear in the archive, you don't go into like your next album thinking you're going to make a minor album. You go in and you you put as much work into it as you put into any other thing you do. And then it is what it is and the public receives it. And it, you know, and sometimes it, you know, in over time appreciates or stays the same or whatever. But, um, but, you know, like we were looking at under the red sky and there are like multiple lyric drafts for wiggle wiggle. Right. So, you know, I, I think Dylan put in so much work on each album. It seemed absurd to minimize any of them. 
um, you know, there are they're they're all major works. Um, the Shadows in the Night, the 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 Great American Songbook albums, um, you know, I think are. I don't know whether I could say I saw them coming, <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, really enjoyed them. And I think Mark and I have talked a lot about it, how we see, um, you know, the effect that working on those albums and, and like burrowing into those songs had on Dylan, um, Dylan's own sort of imagination, creativity around his own sort of body of work. Uh, on the live stage so like you know the like a rolling stone with like all the rubata sections of of a lot of these songs these sort of free time extended sections i think have a lot to do with those arrangements from from those great american songbook albums and i think you know it's a theme we hit in the book that oftentimes before these big sort of creative leaps or or sort of um intense sort of creative moments for dylan he goes back to other people's works um you know whether that's sort of in the early 90s with the acoustic albums and then time out of mind um you know uh the like i always also look at the the period in the late 1980s where he's he's coming out of the sort of hardcore evangelical phase and doing a lot of covers and rehearsal and then he writes this flurry of songs like angelina and groom still waiting at the altar and every grade of sand right you get i'm returning to the well and now my spirit is filled my tank is filled and i'm gonna like take that in so i don't know i, I saw in that sort of light as well mark do you have anything you want to add i'm sorry for running on there no 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 i i mean you basically you basically said it i i um uh i'll address the um uh what what you had mentioned about um you know my my training my phd's in musicology my my um approach to history is not to insert myself into you know uh what i'm writing about and and in fact in in terms of the kind of multiplicity of voices in the book um you know whether it be sean Wilentz, uh sort of he he adds in some um uh some of his thoughts on on particular releases and how they were received but um and and throughout the essays i we wanted to try to be as transparent neutral uh uh it we didn't need to um you know to 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 go that route uh and and um a quick funny story uh speaking of controlled chaos of the archive um as we were uh putting objects in cases and uh painting walls and getting lights pointed and getting everything ready for the 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 may early may opening um a couple of weeks before uh Bob Dylan played right down the street at the Tulsa Theater um, uh, in April of 2022. Um, and <laughs> I think the mural probably was up at that point, the big Jerry Schatzberg mural um, on the wall. And um, Bob didn't drop by. Uh, we we really didn't expect him to. But um, <laughs> he did. 
he did go uh go from the Tulsa theater a couple of blocks down the road past like must have gone past us or um to go catch a Tulsa Drillers baseball game uh because he had a um uh, on his piano he had a Tulsa Drillers uh towel uh uh commemorative towel on the piano and it was it was really fun to watch him play and see the Tulsa Drillers towel on there and think I guess we're chopped liver so um yeah well, it's, you know, what you said about going back to the well and about how how you, you the thing where Bob would read would listen to all these other pieces of music and use us as inspirations, like you said about like Rolling Stone, your book also made a great connect the dots in my mind of theme time radio hour to um, the standard albums, but also to the philosophy of modern song. And you could see how much he's been thinking about those things, you know, for his whole life. Right. Um, yeah. OK, so. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my rhetorical question. So you both begin this project as lifelong, obviously admirers of Dylan's work. Hard question. What was illuminated about him as you went through this? Because he's such a a fun and slippery character, right? He he says in some interviews somewhere, "I'm glad I'm not me." So like, what what if anything was illuminated or or maybe intensified about your understanding about this guy Bob Dylan as you started this project? I you know the 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 work ethic um the you know no no archive is you know complete nobody writes down all of their thoughts or that song that you know they heard on the radio that inspired them that you know made it to a piece of paper where 50 years later somebody's looking at it and going aha that's you know that's that's the evidence i was looking for to 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 make this point but um that he kept so much of it and that that consistently uh you know he is he has continued to create i think you know there there was the old statement of you know never trust anybody over 30 um uh the the idea that you know hope i die before i get old like like all that stuff like to me getting old is is losing that curiosity uh that that sort of you know, desire to, uh, create and explore. And, um, and gosh, I, I want to be 82 still, you know, bumping around doing the thing that I love. Um, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's and it. Again, it's, he's not a Vegas act. I mean, it's not, it's not incredible that he's doing it at 82. It's, it's incredible that he's doing, uh, what he's always done uh which is not ever doing the same thing you know that he's always done it's it's it it yeah. is not an oldie show so yeah when i saw him live a couple of weeks ago i i saw him in new jersey and i was so glad that it wasn't a greatest hits night and i was looking at the set list of course online to see what they were but that's a, that that is a great thing that he does it's not an oldie show yeah. how about you parker what was parker what was illuminated for you about the man as you started undertaking this project I think, you know, Mark touched on a lot of it. Uh, I might, you know, I think uh, my my thing has been that, you know, when someone can create great works of art in the way that Dylan has for 60 plus years and that we tend to flatten that achievement into the word genius. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that, you know, Dylan isn't a genius, though he might, you know, rankle a bit at that mantle. Um or that title rather, but, um, but I think, you know, what this shows is what that actually means, which is like a, an incredible work ethic, uh, an incredible amount of talent to accompany that work ethic. 
uh, a ruthless sort of self-editing process, uh, you know, a real keen sense of of direction and and sort of, you know, and that's not to say that these things are consistent throughout Dylan's career, but, you know, they are the North Star that is generally pointed to. Um, you know, uh, maybe the, the one thing I'd add to what Mark said is is um, just how uh, open, you know, it's incredible the the like panoply of influences that Dylan takes in and filters and what he takes from that. And then, you know, you know, sort of goes through the pressure cooker to create what he creates. I mean, it's, it's, he's wide open to the world. He doesn't discriminate. There's no high and low and good and bad. It's just, is this, you, you know, is this useful to me as an artist? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's like the criteria seemingly. Um, so I think that's like a real, uh, really incredible thing that maybe I didn't quite, you know, realize the extent or that any of us realize the extent because only he can know the truth. Um, and then, you know, maybe on the flip side of that, looking at, you know, all of the, the, the mail, the fan mail, the things that, you know, came to Dylan is like, just even how, you know, you hear about his influence, but just how sort of, you know, extensive it really is, you know, so the inputs and the outputs were really, you know, the thing maybe that I took away um, from this project. That's a great way to think about it, inputs and outputs. So last question for each of you, and, and your answer to this question might change in two hours. It might change in two days. It's an unfair question, but it's just a fun question to end the interview. So we'll start with you, Mark. Um, what, well, you can't pick a, you can't pick a favorite Bob Dylan song or album, or maybe you can, but what would you say is like an overlooked song or an album that you kind of like, or that's on your turntable now that you're kind of like, you know what, you know, yeah, everyone talks about these ones, but I, I kind of have a soft spot for this. Yeah. Lay down your weary tune, Carnegie Hall. Um, I say that because I'm working on an exhibition for the Bob Dylan Center right now um, on essentially 1961 to 64. Um, the archive kind of, you know, really gets going in 1965 of what we have. So um, we're doing an exhibit, I'm curating an exhibit around uh, Dylan getting to Greenwich Village and then sort of that, that meteoric rise to stardom. Um, but more importantly, uh, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis and the threat of nuclear annihilation and, you know, all of the, the uh, tragic racially motivated murders that were, you know, happening in the early 60s that inspired Bob and others to write songs. Um, but uh, I found myself, it's it's probably in some, you know, top playlist, top, top played songs right now is Lay Down Your Weary Tune. Uh, it's... Um, uh, it's kind of always in my head these days. Um, it's just one of the most beautiful melodies. Um, it's incredible. So, right. How about you, Parker? Um, I, you know, I'm always advocating for 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 the the, the gospel period. I think uh, that's one of the best bands he ever had, and um, so I'm always advocating for that. But but I'll I'll, I'll change it up. And uh, and say that like hard rain, I think, um, you know, 1975, that first leg gets all the glory. But uh, when that 1976 sort of band, which is basically the same band, but he's totally rearranged it um, when it's really firing 
it's it's a really really powerful group so um so yeah i'll say hard rain great mark and parker thank you so much for coming on the show bob dylan mixing up the medicine is published by callaway it's available everywhere and it is and i I'm, this might sound hyperbolic but it's not it is a monumental monumental achievement of all things bob so thank you so much for putting it together and thanks for being on the show thanks, thanks for, so having, us, for having us and i hope you uh you make it down to tulsa and i, I encourage must. all your listeners to to make it down to tulsa to the bob dylan center and the woody guthrie center as well it's um it's a very complimentary experience to the book yeah. it's just a hop skip and a jump and a jump and a jump from wh wherever you are <laughs>